Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikama. With me is Benjamin Solak on a Thursday edition of the podcast where we are picking out some of our favorite fits of the 2021 NFL Draft. It could be any round. First, second, third, heck, could even be fourth, fourth, fifth. Could it be sixth? Yes. Seventh. No, no, get out. No. Get out. Absolutely out. Eighth? What are we, what are we drafting round. in like the 70s? I don't. I, I actually have no idea when there was an eighth round. When Undrafted they, free agency. I guess we could have done that. Yeah. But we didn't. Above no. and beyond this podcast, can you imagine after the draft? Could not be me. Could That's absolutely not. the Locked On Bare Minimum podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that other voice you hear is, of course, my esteemed co-host, Benjamin Solek, who I am legally and contractually obligated to ask. Ben, how are you? Everything is delicious. I'm getting pizza tonight. Thank you for asking. Oh, dang. Yeah. Shout out our bellies on Stadium Street. If you're in Kalamazoo or Portage, hit them up. Now I'm going to want pizza. I had wings earlier. Damn, now I'm kind of... Oh, now I want wings. Right yep. Hey, I had to watch you eat like multiple meals of wings last week. This is true. This we is had, we had wings like the first four days of, of when we were in studio. We had wings like every single day. And I had tater tots. And yeah. But they were good tater tots. They were not wings. <laughs> tater tots are not wings. All right, so we're having this conversation talking about some of our favorite fits. We've recapped the draft as a whole the last two days. But now as the podcast goes on, really not just today, but over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get more detailed in our approach. We're going to talk about the things that we like this week. But there's going to be some give and take over the weeks that follow as we're getting into each division we're going to go through each team and talk about their picks as a whole. But here, I wanted to get even more towards the microscope of which individual selections we really, really liked throughout the draft. So, Ben, I will give you the floor first. Who do you want to talk about as a selection? It doesn't have to be the highest selection easier. It could just be the one that you're the most jazzed about. Who'd you so really was, like in this class? I was watching Zach McPherson, the uh, the corner for uh, Texas Tech, who the Eagles drafted in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. And... I was watching the Oklahoma State film, mm-hmm. and uh, he lines up at right corner pretty much the whole game. Let, let me Tylen guess. Wallace, let, I was going to say, let me guess. He goes up against Tylen Wallace. No, he doesn't because Tylen lines up at right wide receiver pretty much the whole game. So they don't really interface. Um, but I, that Texas Tech game was pretty nuts for Tylen. He had a – I don't think it was a go-ahead touchdown. I think it was like a make a one-score game, a two-score game touchdown uh late which is just like unreal concentration i was just getting excited for him all over again i will say uh ravens released their rookie numbers today oh no 16 oh, no. Oh, for no. tylen wallace oh tylen no tylen buddy no well 12 for rashad bateman 12 should have been tylen yeah no. especially with the ability to now have single digits as well tylen just oh 16 man it hurts. His career. Yeah, well, hold we'll on. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. We, we, there, there's still hope here. There could. This could be a situation where, like Amani Arwarie had, where he put picked like 46 or something, and then he changed it. He's 23 now, right? Is he 23? 
He's something that's not 46. He's yeah. something that's not 46. So there is still hope. Sometimes it's just like a rookie year number or like the first number that he picks. Yeah. There's still hope for our boy. Anyway, so Tylen's wearing 16, which is worrisome. But uh, Tylen Wallace, of whom I'm a big fan, the Ravens are able to get at the beginning of day three. And for what this passing game needs, and we've talked about this a little bit with Bateman and Wallace, uh, Tylen is perfect because while he was a delightful contested catch receiver at Oklahoma State and his his vertical ability was astounding, uh, he is six foot one ninety, and so he just he has those short arms as well. He just does not project as the sort of player who is going to succeed in that role in the NFL. But he's a smart route runner. And as I, as, as I always like to bring up, contested catchability does not just mean 30 yards down the field, vertical nine ball, me in the corner, a jump ball situation. Oftentimes, a player who's willing to be physical and effective there will be physical and effective catching through contact over the middle of the field with a linebacker coming in to make a hit or with a corner on his back or the safety coming downhill to lay the wood. That contested catchability is important, and Thailand has that as well. She's a consistent route runner, consistent hands, good over the middle of the field, which, as we've talked about, is what this Ravens passing offense needs. And so, at yeah. 131, uh-huh. with, 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 with a slew of wide receiver picks made, there are two receivers who I really like to pick on day three, and Tylen was one of them. And I think that as this Ravens depth chart continues to shake out, because right now it's Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin and Sammy Watkins and Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace and so and Devin Duvernay. So Wallace feels like what wide receiver six? You know what I mean? Like right. it, you know, it, it's it may not be early for Tylen, but. As I think Boykin loses some playing time, Sammy's on a one-year deal, what have you. I would not be surprised if Wallace just fights his way into snaps for this team. So if it doesn't happen early, that's okay. But I do think he's a steal because I do think he is what the the Baltimore Ravens passing game needs. So I like it. Well, you know, one of my picks is Rashad Bateman. And it was honestly just because if you picked Bateman, then I was going to pick Tylen, and if you picked Tylen, then I was going to pick Bateman. Because we, we went over this in our wide scope, just looking at some picks that we really enjoyed, and these two picks in general, and more of the philosophy for what the Ravens wanted to do on offense, I feel, was was to a T. It was exactly what we thought it was going to be, and, and you mentioned some of the spots that he might be able to take from some of the guys that are already there, but we've said this before, it, it marries the passing offense, I think, together. It was just too different between when they targeted wide receivers, everything was vertical and to the sideline, and when they targeted tight ends, it felt like everything was contested over the middle. Now, they have these two wide receivers who bring something different to the table. Get a little bit of a different identity for that wide receiver room. And right. so I not only think that Thailand does that really well, but Rashad does too, who they picked with their first selection at number 27. So I loved it. Yeah. Greg Roman had this quote where he was like, we're going to be able to do different things. It's like, would you like to be any more specific, Gregory? Uh, and so I haven't really <laughs> dove into like what he may have implied with that. But the hope is that by different things, he means a real passing game. Because make no bones about it. The Ravens play action passing game, vertical releases, tight end releases, sick. Love it. Great. Their drive back passing game is not real. All right. We're either going to run a curl or a go. Ready, go. It's like, all right, nobody is afraid of this, right? You're not right, crossing. Right. Nobody's, nobody's crossing. There's no breaking routes. There's nothing. You know what I mean? Maybe you just didn't have the players for it, whatever. But the hope is that that new passing game that he's alluding to will just have some more common concepts we'll just have some more like traditional west coast ideas let alone some more creative stuff 
uh, it's going to allow you to have a real drop back passing game that you can use on third and longs. And that's where a guy like Tylen, slot and outside, Bateman, slot and outside are going to be valuable. I think I have to mention this one, even though it's an obvious. I love Kyle Pitts to the to the Atlanta Falcons. I think that makes a lot of sense. It doesn't count as a steal. Oh, well, I didn't think that it was a steal. I'm just talking about like good pairings. Like the I, I approach this exercise thinking like, hey, which prospects am I really loving for certain teams? So I mean, oh, Kyle I Pitts. Steals. Okay, well, I mean, I have guys that are later in the draft, too, so we'll basically get on track there. But I just wanted to shout out, I love Kyle Pitts getting picked by the Falcons. I know people are going to always look at this pick and think that it could have been a quarterback, especially over the next couple of years. But when you look at who their head coach is, how he emphasized tight ends and heavy packages as a member, as the play caller of the Tennessee Titans, this makes so much sense, even with Hayden Hurst there. Pitts is going to be able to take over, and I think that it's just going to be the type of offense that Arthur Smith is going to want to run and what he can do with with a player like Kyle Pitts is going to be even better than the situation that he had with the Tennessee Titans. So this gives Arthur Smith the option to really be as successful as he has been over the last couple of years. I think that, that Kyle Pitts could have done well and had a great career wherever he landed, but I feel this spot in particular it is going to maximize his skill set because you've got a play caller and an offensive mind that already knows the importance of tight ends. You know, what I didn't want to happen is for him to go to a team that was like just kind of getting into the tight end game. Like, oh, everybody else is using tight ends. So like, let's like, let's us use tight ends. Oh, let's just pick a good one. And we think that that's probably how we jumpstart it. Instead, they get an experienced mind who really knows how to utilize the tight ends really well. And so I, I like that Kyle Pitts pick. But let's we, we can go on to two other players that were picked a little bit later. These are early second-round guys. So I guess technically not steals, as Ben would say, but they're two receivers who I really like their landing spots. Elijah Moore to the Jets at 34, and then Terrace uh-huh. Marshall Jr. to the Panthers at 59. I love Elijah Moore going to the Jets because when you look at their depth chart right now, they have Corey Davis to play outside as the X. They've got him as a strong receiver. I think Denzel Mims can do a lot of different things for your offense, including play the X, but you can also move him around the line of scrimmage pre-snap. You can keep him off the line. You can keep him free, and he can attack vertical for you if you want him to. So I think that that's really nice. They have Jamison Crowder right now, but I feel like for the future, Elijah Moore could be exactly what a guy like Zach Wilson would really want in his first couple of years because I feel like Elijah Moore, right? he was that kind of player at Ole Miss where Whenever you needed a catch, whether it was two yards or five yards or 12 yards or 20 yards, they went to him. He was the focal point of their passing game. And he can have that same kind of rapport with Zach Wilson, I think, where Zach could just have in the back of his head that Elijah Moore is almost his security blanket. He's his confidence guy. When he needs to complete a pass, he can go to Elijah and they can move Elijah all over the field in different alignments. And so I feel like the creativity of what you could do with Elijah Moore in this Jets offense, and especially for what he could mean to Zach Wilson I really really enjoyed that fit and then Terrace Marshall Jr. him getting to be reunited once again with Joe Brady who knows how capable he is in that offense and was able to take a look at the film of even more things that Terrace was able to do this past year at LSU is not just a wide receiver three but this year he was their wide receiver one and they were moving him all over they were using him in the slot they were using him outside and he had a lot of success even in a very streamlined complementary role with that talented LSU offense and Joe Brady knows that very, very well. And so when it comes to him joining a group of Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, I feel like the possibilities are kind of endless with what you can do with these three receivers. And I think that 
Joe Brady certainly has to be licking his chops with what he can do and the kind of schemes that he could have for all three of these guys to really attack the defense with all sorts of mismatches. And so from a creativity standpoint, I really love the Terrace Marshall pick. Again, this is one where he's not going into an unfamiliar spot. He's going to be landing with a coach who knows him really well. And then for Elijah Moore too, just the role he could play as a slot stud, as that security blanket kind of a player for a young quarterback, I think is really important. So, uh, Jamison Crowder's contract, he's due 11-4 this year, 10 million of which is non-guaranteed base salary. So, Mm -hmm. you have drafted Elijah Moore, and I think that you envision Elijah Moore in the Debo Samuel role in terms of his target distribution, right? He's not as big as Samuel. He's not as physical as Samuel, but he's quick as lightning. He's great with the ball in his hands. So, give him the targets at or near the line of scrimmage. Give him the designed reverses and sweeps and, and wide receiver touches, the jet stuff. Let him turn behind line of scrimmage targets, negative targets into positive gains. Cool. The traditional slot receiver role has never really been a big thing in the Shanahan offense, right? Like what Jamison Crowder does, which is like quick separation within five yards, never really been a thing. It's you got to be able to come in, you got to be able to block, you got to be able to go emotion and block, and then you got to be able to run an intermediate route tree, right? Think about what Emmanuel Sanders brought to them in terms of a route runner. They're still lining you up out wide. You know what I mean? They're often in reduced alignment, so you're functionally in the slot, but it's not like there's another receiver outside of you. And so I give you this. Cut Crowder. Recoup $10 million, Sign Richard Sherman. You wow. Wow. 100%. 100%. Right. Yes. Uh, and so I think what you're hoping for is Denzel Mims to play your ex, have him be jump ball boy for Zach Wilson, because we know Wilson all the time was like throw it up in the general vicinity of Mims, like, blah, go make a play for me. And Mims like, yep, this is what I do. Uh, Corey Davis is now going to become your Z in your slot. And I was bringing up how you want that player offline of scrimmage to be able to block for you in this offense. So Corey Davis did in Tennessee. Um, and they're running duo, right? And they'd run duo out of 12 personnel, but they would bring Davis in, attach him to the line of scrimmage. Uh, with the H back and they would have him be part of that blocking system because he's physical and he's aggressive. And then you run him out of the slot and have him run your climb routes and your drift routes and your digs and so on and so forth. Elijah Moore does some funky stuff for you at behind line of scrimmage and you're good. The big question for the Jets is, is that the Niners had that sort of snap and target distribution because they had George Kittle, who they were never, ever, 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 ever going to take off the field ever. And then they did a lot of, you know, 21 personnel with Kyle Juszczyk. And, and, and so they were able to get more skilled position players on the, on the field in that way. Jets currently don't have a fullback. Unless you're calling Trevon Wesco a fullback. Could. Fourth, which, right. like they, They've experimented with this previously, which I would be fun because I love Trevon Wesco. Fourth round pick out of West Virginia two years ago. And right now their top tight end is Chris Herndon. They didn't address that position in the draft at all. Free agency, Kenny Yeboah. And so... I do wonder if you want to be cutting into your wide receiver depth chart here and moving on from Crowder when you don't have the additional bodies at other positions that the the Niners did, that LaFleur is used to from San Francisco. So it is an interesting conversation. But I do agree that if, if we're talking about being able to move on from Crowder, sign Sherman, which is not even like they need money to do it, but like let's say it's just what they want to do, 
that works for me. I'm just worried about your tight end room, mostly. Obviously, fullback's not that critical, but still, it's an important part of that that offense. And so it is interesting. Crowder is a little bit of an odd man out in terms of how we've seen players typically used at wide receiver in this offense before. Who else you got? Who's next on your list? Um, okay, I'll I'll do my last wide receiver just so we can stay on the wide receiver talking. Then all I right, promise right. we'll talk about I other have, positions. I have one more wide receiver. Well, I actually have two more, so I'll probably shout them out there. And, I and have then we'll six more wide receivers. My entire list is actually wide <laughs> receivers, so I can never fail at this exercise. I'm trying to. I I I think uh, I felt like I was doing a reference there. Like I have nothing. Well, I can't remember what it was. Okay, anyway, Daz Newsom is a good fit for the Bears. Uh, RPO heaven. In Chicago, coming from RPO heaven uh, with UNC, uh, they they would run fair number of RPOs, fair number of play action stuff. Be able to hit Newsom quickly in the slot, get easy money on third down, get second and medium, so on and so forth. Uh, Allen Robinson in hand, one more year, vertical player, jump ball player, good route runner, but downfield dude. Darnell Mooney, fifth round pick last year, nice pleasant surprise, good player, speed, uh, uh, quickness on the outside, field stretching ball and hand ability anthony miller still there for another year reports are they're trying to trade him has struggled so far uh was going to be the underneath separator was going to be the good hands guy tough contested catch over the middle guy has not been that they signed Demir bird this year probably hoping he can be that bird's never really been that he's not the sharpest route runner in the world not a great timing player okay newsome does not have the juice you would hope in terms of athleticism when you watch him play at UNC. You're just like, oh, I wish you were a little faster, a little bigger, a little quicker. And then you'd be full on ready for the NFL. But he's polished, he's got great hands, and he's ready to go. Uh, NFL caliber skill set, even though he may not have NFL caliber athleticism, and he's pretty much well-developed at this point. He didn't get the biggest route tree in the world because he's running that Phil Longo offense. He's running that A.J. Brown role, <laughs> right? right? Which right, is like right. all the slot stuff, whatever. Yeah. But... I think he can put more on his plate in terms of separating against head-up man coverage. So he, to me, has a really nice position now with the Bears to win some of the slot reps, right? And what's interesting here for me is we. So uh, Justin Fields is now the quarterback. One of my favorite things about Justin Fields being the quarterback, by the way, is if you go to the Bears depth chart, he's currently listed as QB three behind Dalton and Foles, which just makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> Fields obviously was running offense with Garrett Wilson and with Chris Olave. It was just living with targets with those guys. Mm -hmm. And it, they were both outside receivers. If they ever lined up in the slot, it was usually to run like slot fades. Like it was usually to get down the field. So he didn't really run quick game a ton. I've talked about this before, how I don't think he's the best quick game passer in the world. And he's probably going to be a little bit weak there in the league and it's fine, whatever. In 2019, his first year at Ohio State, he had a young man named KJ Hill who got Heard of him. Like 75 targets or something. Uh, was a high-volume receiver for them, 10-touchdown score for them. Fields used that gun game, one-step K.J. Hill option a lot more when he had it. And so I think if you, I think Newsom can become Fields' K.J. Hill during his first season, where he can become a safety outlet for him, and he can become a quick release for him, quick RPO gain, always going to be where you expect him to be, always going to make the tough catch, not a ton of yards after the catch, whatever, whatever, but... That's what he can be. And, and Hill was a late-round pick, and Newsom was a late-round pick because they're both the same player in college. Um, but I, I do think that you can get Fields and Newsom on the same page fairly quickly in an offense that uses players like this and have Newsom be a 
decently high volume player, if not an explosive player, for a Bears roster that just does not have much depth at wide receiver right now. So I like Daz Newsom to the Bears, and I think he could be beneficial for Justin Fields, who I am a little bit worried about in the quick game when he enters the pros. All right, I'm going to keep the wide receiver train going. We can just knock out all the wide receivers right now. I'm going to read off some names, Ben, and yeah. you, you tell me when you hear somebody that you love as a vertical threat, okay? Does that sound good? You ready? Yeah. All right. Kelvin Harmon, Antonio Gandy-Golden, Cam Sims, Steven Sims Jr., Adam Humphreys, Isaiah Wright, Tony Brown, Adam Dax Mill. Adam Humphreys Mill. is in Washington? Yeah, he is. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you didn't, interu- you didn't interrupt me at any Gandy point. Gandy-Golden, but like as a jump ball guy, not a field stretcher. Yeah, that's why I love Diami Brown in this offense. I think it makes so much sense for them to... Put him on the field the same time as Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, or even, you know, just throwing him in all kinds of different uh, 11, 12 personnel, whatever they're doing. If they got two wide receiver sets out there, I feel like Diami Brown could still be very useful for them. Terry McLaurin's turning into a top, I don't, I'm, I'm not having this debate here. Top 20, top 15, top 10, I don't care. He's a very, very good wide receiver, and he could do Why a lot to take that? over an entire, what? Why would you say top 10? That's absurd. Okay. Okay. We're not doing this. We're, we're not. Ha- we're not having this conversation. I'm not doing this for the next 40 minutes. Uh, Terry McLaurin is a very good wide receiver. There, I said it. And I think that getting to combine his skill sets with that of Curtis Samuel, who I think is going to be more is going to be used better in Washington than he was in Carolina. Although I am somewhat apprehensive because the head coach that didn't use him a ton is now the head coach in Washington. But obviously they went out and they got him for a reason. I think that they believe in where he's going and how he's improved. And so maybe it was just, they needed to wait a couple of years to truly unlock him. Whatever the, whatever the, the, the reason is he's going to be a lot for them in the slot. And I think that he is, unequivocally their starting slot receiver, so they're going to use him and lean on him a lot. I think that Diami Brown gives the Washington football team an element that they do not have right now. So as a rookie, I think that he's going to be a potential fantasy football player for you. I know this isn't a fantasy podcast, but I feel like they're going to use Diami Brown quite a bit in this offense. You also throw in Antonio Gibson, who brings plenty to the receiving game as well. Logan Thomas from the tight end position. Of course, you have the fearlessness of the ageless wonder that is Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. And I all of a sudden think that we're going to have a lot of fun. We've seen Ryan Fitzpatrick over the last couple of years, well, really for for most of the latter half of his career, just be very aggressive, I will say, in his, in his play style and where he wants the ball to go. And I, I don't think there was a player on the roster before Diami Brown got there that really could have quenched his thirst to let that bad boy fly. And I think that that's why when Fitz wants to go deep, it's often going to be Diami Brown who is underneath those passes. So I think that he really complements what they have very well, also gives them an element that they don't have throughout the entire receiving room, tight end included. And that's why I really, really like this pick as well. And then the other wide receiver that I wanted to mention is Amon Ross St. Brown going to the Detroit Lions. Look, and the reason why I love this fit isn't necessarily because of a compliment to what they have. It's because they're getting a really nice slot receiver who I think fell in the draft and was a little bit of a steal himself in a wide receiver room that is still building. So yeah, he's not the wide receiver one that I know a lot of Lions fans were clamoring for, but this isn't your winning window yet. You've got a little bit of time. So if you throw Amon Ross St. Brown in there right now, 
he could be a very experienced slot player going into his second and third year once they start to really round out and solidify what they want their receiver room to look like. And so as a baseline, as a foundation almost, I, I like this as a piece, and I thought they got a really good steal in Detroit with uh, with St. Brown. Yeah, I uh, okay, so PFF Moo, who is an, I know what his full name is written, but I don't know how to pronounce it. He's German, so he's PFF Moo right now. Uh, Timo Riske is that. Uh, he wrote for PFF this past week, uh, investigating the steals and reaches of the 2021 NFL draft and using the consensus board that Arif Hassan puts out for the athletic. He did it, like a, a uh, like did some work on like why reaches are usually actually reaches in terms of our post draft understanding, like immediate wake of, of a draft. But steals are often not really steals because usually there's a reason why that guy fell. And in general, the reason why that guy fell is either information that's withheld from the public on the consensus board or is just undervalued by the public. And so whenever it comes to like talking about reaches and steals, I like talking about like Diami is a steal because even though 82 is like a decent like guess for where he could have gone, like obviously there was that like round one hype or whatever, mm-hmm. but that was never going to happen. Right. That was probably never going to happen, but it's more so a steal because this is exactly what they needed and he could have gone earlier, but he didn't. And now he's going to be really valuable for them and he's going to be a rising tide for the rest of the receivers. And Amon Ross St. Brown is a steal because of like, you know, okay, you know, I thought he was going to go third round. He went fourth round. So it was a little bit late, but it's still reasonable, but they don't have any receivers right now in Detroit. And so he's going to be able to play all three positions for them. So and so forth. That sort of stuff is good. And so I, I would recommend everybody read that. Cause it's an interesting way to think about things in terms of what information is held from us. What information isn't uh, the steal that I that comes to my mind when I read that is another Washington player, but it's not Jamie Brown and Samuel Cosme. Because I didn't think ah. Cosme, I didn't think Cosme was gonna go outside the top fifty. And I'll tell you why. You wanna know why? What did he because go like did he go like fifty one? What did he go? Yeah. Did he go fifty? Yeah, it would be. He went fifty. Yeah. He went fifty-one. He went outside the top fifty. Well, hey, you're right. You're right. Uh, Just, hey, print the headline. Print the headline. Samuel right. Cosme picked out of the top fifty. How could the NFL? How could they dare? Cosme was a ninetieth percentile measurer in measuree, measurist in ten yard split, twenty yard split, forty yard dash, broad jump, three cone, short shuttle, and bench press. He was at least ninetieth in all of those. He was seventy third in the vertical jump, and then he also had thirty three inch arms. So his arm length is not what you typically want for a tackle. It's just barely on the edge. That player typically goes, that that sort of, of athleticism typically goes earlier, right? Like on his comparable guys are Taylor Luan and Rashawn Slater and Andre Dillard and Eric Fisher and all these other round one guys. Even Jason Spriggs, who was an early round two guy and just did not have good film. They're on the mock draft comparables because this athlete typically goes really early. Also, there was like Brady Christensen, who went at 70 to the, the Panthers, but was also like 26 years old or something like that. Uh, Spencer Brown, Northern Iowa. Tevin's on his comparables as well. These are all this year's class, though, so it's tough. Basically, what I'm saying is this body type typically goes 30, not 50. Mm-hmm. I don't think Washington was... Like, all right, we've got to make sure that we get a left tackle. Like, this is desperate. We talked about this leading up to the draft. Uh, Jerome Christian, Sam, uh, I was about to say Sam Cosme, Sadiq Charles, uh, David Sharp, Wes Schweitzer, and then they add Eric Flowers. I think they felt okay with who they had on the left side of the line. And then a guy like Cosme comes, and it's, you know what? This sort of athlete is not a gamble we usually get to make this late. 
right? Like the Titans had to go and get Isaiah Wilson, who was 100% athletic projection in the 30s last year. Because you couldn't, you can't get these these good of at, this good of an athlete at tackle while he still has like power five starting experience for multiple years and is not. He does have two kids like Brady Christensen does. That doesn't happen, and so. While Cosme doesn't come out as like a huge steal relative to the consensus board, for him to go after Jackson Carmen and go after Walker Little, two players who I do not think are going to be successful in the NFL left tackle, and for him to fall into the lap of Washington is, to me, the sort of thing that typifies like a steal. It's not like Talano Hufanga, who I really like, who I understand why he went late because he has a shoulder injuries, and it's not like Tony Fields, who I really like, who went late, but it's because he's a 225-pound linebacker. Like That all like has the reasons, and it's like, all right, Maybe the league, as as PFF Moo wrote about, just knows enough about those particular holdups that it makes sense that they fell. And so I might call them a steal because I have them ranked super highly, but maybe they're not actually steals because we just know that Hufanga's health is going to be that much of a problem. Cosme, to me, is a legit steal. He just should not have been there. Other teams passed on him for other tackles. It was very dumb. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to be really good for the Washington football team. So Cosme, to me, Outside the top 50, big-time steal for Washington. He is part of what made Washington's entire draft class really great. It's an A-minus draft class right there, baby. Yeah, we we talked about this a couple of days ago when we were going over our best. Washington was one of them, and and I believe you shared the sentiment where it's like, hey, I I can see why you like Jamin Davis, but okay, you're you're picking him at 19. Uh, You're risking it here, and they somehow get Cosme to fall to them, and then they get Diami Brown, and then it's like, wow. Okay, when you look at it in hindsight, what, what an incredible class this ended up becoming. Before we get to... Last couple of guys on our list. Got to remind everybody that rockauto.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts to customers for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of different manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. It's the same for professionals as it is do-it-yourselfers. So why would you spend up to twice as much for the same part? You don't have to. Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts that they have available for your car or truck, and write Locked On NFL Draft in their little How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you there. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you are ever going to need over at rockauto.com. Also, Bet online, folks. Only one place that has you covered for every single bet and one place that we fully trust. And we're going to get to a betting portion of this podcast in a second. That's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account over at betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on, all caps, one word, locked on, for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code locked on. Get that 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts then we're going to get to some rookie of the year odds for defensive and offensive players but there are two guys that you and I had on our list that I wanted to make sure we got to because we had them on the same list we didn't even we we didn't plan this you know we didn't call each other the night before and talk about who we were going to bring to the table we actually did it five minutes before the show because that you know welcome to the bare minimum podcast Tony Fields the second going to the Cleveland Browns and Homsen is Cyril Dean going to the New York Jets at 186. 
Good ball I, players, man. I loved the Hamson and Serial Dean selection because one, I thought he should have gone way before this. I feel as though if if Florida State wasn't a dumpster fire of a football program over the last couple of years, Nasir mm-hmm. Dean would be much higher on the map of a lot of these NFL evaluators just because I feel like he been would have been able to show his stuff a little bit more. It was a confusing defense. I mean, it was just a confusing time there. But when Hobson DeSeraldine was playing with full confidence and when they were playing him in the right spot, I thought he was a very versatile, very unique, kind of a safety who brings measurables that you just don't see often from the safety position. I mean, like he looks wise. I mean, like he just reminds you of a guy like Derwin James who could play all over and he's got just all kinds of different length to him. And obviously he doesn't have the ceiling of Derwin James, who is also a Florida State Seminole, but... He does a lot of things that you really like, and I loved when Hobson and Cyril Dean was able to play in a role that allowed him to keep his eyes towards the line of scrimmage, creep up a little bit, play in those cover one sets where he could just creep towards the second level or, or, or take the mid, the short middle zone, and I feel like he's going to be afforded the opportunity to do that. Now, of course, the corner room with the New York Jets will go a long way in saying how much he could do that early, but with Marcus May as the free safety there, I feel like he's going to give you a lot of experience and high-end center fielder, cover one kind of ability for the Jets. And so that, I think, is a perfect spot for Homs and Cyril Dean to stay in, play that short zone, be able to play at the second level as well, help towards the line of scrimmage, be a consistent tackler over the middle of the field. I really like the outlook of, of the streamlined process of how this guy can get on the field early. Yeah, right. Marcus May and Ashton Davis in hand, so he doesn't have to be a starter if he doesn't need to be. Uh, Jakiski Tart-like body and ability in a defense that just had Jakiski Tart. So you're going to have uh, a safety, you know, playing the weak side. He's going to close downhill. He's going to be part of the run fit because he has the size to do so. He's going to be able to line up over the tight end and be able to take that tight end coverage. Right. I think that he, and then I also have Talano Hufanga down because obviously I have Talano Hufanga down. I of love course, Talano of course, Hufanga. Of course, of course. And he was drafted in fifth round by San Francisco 49ers because he's going to back up Jakiski Tart. And they have Tart, I want to say, he's either cuttable after one year or he's only on a one-year contract. And if I keep talking slowly, then I'm going to be able to open it up. And he's on a one-year deal. And so you have Hufanga as the ability to take that role in the event of injury, but also be able to challenge for that role next season if Tart is not returned. So that sort of a role for teams that are going to play quarters defense, which the Niners obviously played, and then you expect to play the Jets as well, you have to have a safety who doesn't necessarily need to be 215, 220, like Jakiski Tardar and Holmes and Nasir Dinar, but is able to line up deep and then come downhill and be a part of the run fit with legitimate size, with legitimate stopping power, right? John Johnson was that player for the Rams. They were running quarters with Brandon Staley. So that player is important, and that's the sort of guy I think we're seeing that get drafted on day three. As opposed to Tony Fields, who, like, Tony's not that dude because you can't, I don't think, reasonably line him up deep because he's six foot. So I don't, he's not really have the size necessary to make those coverage plays. He's much more so a play in the flat, play underneath player. He's going to line up in the second level and stay in the second level. Um, but you have now with with him on the field on passing downs and with Jeremiah Wusukornomoa on the field on passing downs, guys who can be legitimate stack linebacker threats, right? So it's second and eight. You don't want to completely sell out against the pass, but you want to. So you're going to put Tony Fields and Jeremiah Wusukornomoa at linebacker feel like you can still legitimately defend the run and get the third and five, but also you can blitz both these players. You can buzz both these players into the flat. You can cover running backs with both these players. Feel mighty, mighty pleased. Uh, the blitzing particularly is going to be a lot of fun for Joe Woods, who's the mm-hmm. defensive coordinator there in Cleveland. Because Owusu-Koromoa and Tony Fields are both 
you know, as you expect for athletes like that, but also even more so, really, really good blitzers, guys who can actually get around tackles. Uh, and so you're going to be able to line them up on the outside edges. You're going to be able to put Miles Garrett inside and sub package, put Jadavian Clowney inside and sub package, uh, and then rush with those guys on the outside. And that's going to be really fun because you're going to be able to do zone blitz stuff, zone pressure. You're going to bait quarterbacks into bad quick throws. You can get really, really creative with those guys and with your secondary, with your safeties, because you have John Johnson, Ronnie Harrison, and Grant Delpit. So all that should work. It's kind of limited by the defense coordinator's creativity. So it's big on Joe Woods to use those guys correctly. But given who the, how they drafted, I expect them to do that. I I truly love it just because, you know, I said this on Tuesday. You go and draft a Wusu Koromoa and you draft him, and I, I feel like some of the reason why he fell a little bit, I mean, of course it was the, the heart condition that teams found, but also he's a very unique prospect. He, you can't streamline him into any defense, and the Browns went and, and they drafted the hybrid Wusu Koromoa, and then they went later in the draft and they drafted another hybrid Tony Fields. And even even though they're not, they might not play the exact same position. This is a this is a clear mindset that they are willing to be a little bit more flexible with their safety linebacker kind of players. And, and I, I I love the fit because I love the vision for what they're doing, how versatile they're, they're making their safety room, how deep they're making their safety room, how much they want to get these guys interchangeable throughout the field no matter what packages are thrown out there. So I love I love the the landing spot for Tony Fields simply because Wusu Koromo was even already there. So I know that they are going to be open-minded in how they used him to get the most out of him. So I actually, it was a package deal about, you know, if they draft a Wusu Koromo, that also makes Tony Fields an even better pick along with him being a good football player going later in the draft. Offensive Rookie of the Year. Never heard of him. Ben sent me the updated... Offensive Rookie of the Year odds. Number one, not shocked, Trevor Lawrence. But number two, sort of shocked, Justin Fields. Trey Lance is three, Mac Jones is four, Jamar Chase is five, Zach Wilson is six, Devonta Smith seven, Kyle Pitts eight, Davis Mills nine, geez. Uh, Jalen Waddell is ten, and then we have a handful of guys who are further down this list. Ben, anybody really intrigue you? with the odds that they have here for Offensive Rookie of the Year? Uh, so I think that Wilson is low. Uh, that's unnecessarily low. He's I don't t- think 10 to 1. I don't think Wilson's going to win it, let me be very clear. But I think that if I would be stunned if a non-quarterback wins it. And right now the best quarterback odds you can get are Wilson, which is especially surprising because there's still doubt as to, like, does Fields start X? How many games does Fields start? How many games does Lance start? How many games does Mac Jones start? No doubt about Zach Wilson starting. You're going to get all the games from him, which means you're going to get some bad play, but also I think some good play too. Uh, and that offense is improved in terms of the weapons that they've added and they're improving the offensive line. And so because he gives me the best odds among the quarterbacks, Zach Wilson's my favorite pick there. Uh, everybody, all these radio heads were asking me like, who's the best sleeper like outside the top five? Literally nobody. Trey Sermon. You know what I mean? Like it's not like it. This, this Where is Trey Sermon? Is Trey Sermon on this list? No, he's not. Yeah, he's 50 to one, baby. Oh, you didn't send me that one. You cut me short. What are you talking about? You cut me short. It says you're right there. Hang on, wait. Kellen Mond's the last name I have. You Frank, were, I did. You are trying it. Okay. to, you're Trey trying Sermon's to get in on the money. You're trying to rob me of this good, sweet person. Unbelievable. Trey I went to your wedding. Oh, you stop. <laughs> 
Trace Irwin is 51 and would also be a fun bet just because he's going to probably get high volume because it's the earliest Shanahan has drafted a running back since Joe Williams. You know what's funny? Yeah. The 40 to 1 odds. We have Elijah Moore. Okay. Kadarius Tony. Okay. Rashad Bateman. All right. Rondale Moore. Fine. Terrace Marshall. Another receiver. Also, Kyle Trask. Yeah. Tom goes down. I, I mean, it, I, it, it would, it would, for Kyle Trask to play, it would literally take Tom going down, Blaine Gabbert going, going down, down. Uh, Bruce Arians himself not suiting up to play quarterback. Byron Leftwich not suiting up himself to play quarterback. Left, that one actually. Marshall and that one actually. Line carry him around. Yeah, that was that. That one actually made more sense. But I thought about it late, so here we are. Now I'm just trying to stall before we get on to the next topic. I think Zach Wilson's probably like the quote unquote best bet because, like you said, it's ten to one odds. He's sixth best odds, and he plays quarterback, and he's going to start right away. Yeah. Who gave you that idea? Uh, probably somebody who also robbed me of earning this sweet cash on Trey Sermon at fifty to one. Yeah, you're right. That's my bad on me. Oh, God, I hope he doesn't win now. Defensive Rookie of the Year. This pod will never forgive you if he wins now. <laughs> it never does. Defensive Rookie of the Year. Micah Parsons is number one at 4-1 to one odds. You know, Defensive Rookie of the Year is it's a stat-driven award on both sides of the ball, but I feel like defense more so than offense even. You've got to be able to stand out statistically. Micah Parsons is one. Jalen Phillips is two. Jamin Davis is three. Quiddy Pay four. Patrick Sertan five. Uh, sorry, JC Horn is five. Patrick Sertan is six, although they have the exact same odds. So I could have just rolled with it and not embarrassed myself. Oh, well. Owusu Koromoa, seven. Zayvon Collins, eight. Jason Owe, nine. Gregory Rousseau is 10. I think the Jamin Davis bet looks pretty good, does it not? I, I mean, I don't. I. I have to bet on a player who I think is at least going to be good in year one. I don't think Jamin is. Also, Jamin's their third linebacker. I think Jamin's going to play a lot. I think he's going to play, too. I'm just saying they're going to play Bostic and Holcomb, too. Those guys aren't coming off the field that much. But nah. Bostic a little bit, but nah, still. No, nah. no. They're going to play Davis. Nah. My favorite bet here is Jalen Phillips. Phillips is, without concussion concerns, a clear top five, top ten pick. And is a expected eight plus sack a year guy, right? Which is is reserved only for top ten picks at edge, and that's what he he would be if he didn't have the concussion thing and how that process went down. So if you get seventeen games out of him, I think he gets eight sacks this year. It's not like there's a better pass rusher on Miami either. You know what I mean? So I think he's going to be their primary guy. So to me, Phillips, because of the talent, if I I get him over Parsons, that's awesome for me. I like that. And then if you make me go later. Farley and Newsom, maybe, but you need to have crazy ball production to win as a corner. It's usually counting stat linebackers or right. sack stat pass rushers. And I don't like any of the late pass rushers. Joe Tryon, Peyton Turner, no. Ryan Perkins. Yeah, no, it's none of that. Who'd you Sante leave? Samuel's probably going to get some ball production. He's going to start in, with the Chargers. No, you're right. He's got 33 to 1 odds. That's that's an interesting. I, I just I, I, I can't I, see I him winning. I just take Phillips, even if it's chalky. Yeah, Phillips and Davis are my two. But they got the same they got the same odds, so I'd probably, yeah, lean Phillips. Yeah. As much as I hate it. It's not gonna be Jamin. That's no. It might be. But it's not gonna be. Buffalo chicken tender supper on the line? Yes, if it's anybody but Jamin Davis. Which by <laughs> the way, I still have not counted because I just have no time. But we will count that and report it on Fan Friday. We'll do it on Fan Friday. I'll freak this tomorrow. Dang it. Okay, fine. We'll do it on Fan Friday. <laughs> we'll, do it on, it. we'll do it on next week's Fan Friday. Speaking of, 
That's all for this episode. We got Fan Friday coming up next at the end of the week. Like I said in the earlier episodes, this better break the record, folks. You better be ready. You guys better have your burning questions about what you want to know about your draft hall, what could have happened. And of course, it's Ask Me Anything style. So you could put Ben and I in a post-apocalyptic 2021 NFL draft setting, and we will try to navigate it as best we can. We have a lot of fun on Fan Fridays. If you're new to the show, we talk football. And we talk literally anything else. People ask us all sorts of questions about movies, music, food, random weird top fives. Try to get Ben and I to go into, like I just said, kind of crazy situations and and figure out a way out of it. Sometimes it involves you know having a football player with us and who we would choose as our bodyguard or whatever. Fan Fridays are a lot of fun. We go an hour long. Hit us up on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey at Benjamin Solak. That's how you can ask us questions. I'm gonna put out the. Uh, question form later tonight, which is Thursday night when we're recording this podcast, but it'll still be up on Twitter. So like you can ask us throughout the morning on Friday. I believe that we're recording it in uh, late Friday morning. So you guys can probably hear this episode right around at noon to get your weekend started. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Lockdown NFL Draft.